Now we want to open our Bible tonight for a reading in the second book of Samuel, chapter 12, please. The second <coughs> book of Samuel, chapter 12, and start our reading at the opening verse. <coughs> second Samuel, chapter 12, and the verse 1. And we read, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him, and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. There came a traveller unto the rich man, and he spurred to take of his own flock, and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But took the poor man's lamb, and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And David And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives on into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the headite with the sword and has taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall not shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, Thou I will take... And I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbour. They shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thus, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was sick. Lend a reading there first, 15, and we know God will add his own blessing to the reading of the scriptures of truth. Now let's bow together in a short word of prayer and pray that the speaking voice of God 
will be heard to every heart. Father in heaven, we thank the Lord for the divine revelation that thou hast given to us of thyself and thy word. And we pray, Lord, now that as we come to the scriptures of truth, that the Spirit of God will take his own sword, the sword of the Spirit, Lord, will apply it to every heart. Whether, Lord, we're saved or unsaved, Lord, help us to say, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people. Lord, we pray again for help from heaven. Glorify Christ. Hide man far behind the cross. And we'll be careful to give thee all the praise, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want to read together another short portion from the second book of Samuel. And if you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to chapter 18. And we want to read together just three verses of this chapter, the last three verses, beginning at verse 31. Chapter 18 of Second Samuel and the verse 31. And we read, And behold, Cushai came, and Cushai said, Tidings, my lord, the king, for the lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of the lord, the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt be as that young man is and the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept and as he went thus he said O my son Absalom my son my son Absalom would God I had died for thee O Absalom my son my son and we know that God well bless this further reading from his own word <coughs> One of the great joys of the gospel ministry is to be able to preach the word and to study the word of God and indeed on occasions to have the joy, unspeakable joy of pointing men and women and boys and girls <clears throat> to the Lord Jesus Christ. It has its moments of joy, mountaintop experiences when we know great blessing. But alas also the work of the gospel ministry has its folly experiences when you not only rejoice with those that rejoice, but sad to say that you've got to weep with those that weep. I've known over the years in different circumstances uh, to have to go into a home where a death has entered in tragically and had to weep with those that weep. I remember on one occasion when I was just a young minister start, starting out, a knock came to the door and I went to the door. There was a police car. Policeman was sitting, standing there and another policeman sitting in the car. And he's asked, he said, are you the Reverend Barnes? And I said, I was. And he said, well, I've got bad news for a family here in the street. He named the man and he said he took a massive heart attack at his work and dropped dead. And I understand, Mr. F Barnes, you know the family well. And indeed I did. I knew the children, knew the girls, knew the boys. I knew his wife very, very well as a neighbour. And I'll never forget having to go down into that home with that policeman. And the young policeman said, I don't know how I'm going to tell her. Would you break the news to her? And I had to tell that dear mother of those young children that your husband 
has taken a massive heart attack at work. He's died and uh, he'll not be coming home. I'll never forget the wail that went up from the heart of that woman as she cried and she sobbed and she uh, leaned upon my shoulder and soon I could feel the, the damp of the tears as that woman's eyes were a fountain of tears. And the young children hanging on to their mother's skirt and apron and crying, they were old enough to understand and crying and lamenting the fact that they would never see their father again alive. And there are many occasions when you have to enter into the valley of the shadow of death and as a minister weep with those that weep. And here we have an occasion in the life of David, the man after God's own heart. And if you look at the last verse of this chapter that I want to consider with you this evening, we find that David's heart is broken. And we have this great lamentation from the heart of the man of God. And I want you to think of these words. And the king which was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept and as he went, thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. O Absalom, my son, my son. And as I look at those words, there are three simple yet important lessons sitting on the surface of these words of lamentation by David. And I want you to notice, first of all, what I've called David's great grief. It's easy to see here that these words are soaked and saturated with the tears of David. We're told there in verse 33, and the king was much moved. The king was much moved. And that literally means that as David went up over that, into that chamber, uh, that David physically, emotionally was shaken to the very foundation of his being when he received the news here from Cushai concerning the death of Absalom, his son. You remember Absalom was a prodigal. He was a rebel. He was everything that his father uh, wasn't. And Absalom, you remember, was a young man with a beautiful hair uh, down to his waist that he wore every year, and he was handsome, he was fair to look upon, and he was full of vanity. And that vanity and popularity with the people caused him to rise up in rebellion against David, and he tried to usurp the throne. And there came a day when they were out in battle, and we find here that uh, Absalom uh, when he was fleeing from the battle, when it was hard against him, and he was on his horse and he was fleeing, and hard as he was fleeing, his hair caught in the branches of the tree, and there he was hanging. And one of David's mighty men came, and he took three darts, and as quick as a flash, he put them into the heart of Absalom and slew him without mercy, and put Absalom to death, even the king's son. And the sad tragedy was this, that Absalom was a spoilt brat. And David reaped the awful consequences of not dealing with his son Absalom. Wasn't it, Bram, wasn't it General Booth's wife who raised up 17 children for the Lord? And she said, I refuse to raise a brat for the devil. 
And sad to say that even in a so-called Christian home, there can be a brat raised for the devil, never disciplined, left to themselves, never chastised, never rebuked, never dealt with in a loving way to seek to bring them up in the admonition and fear of the Lord. And I've sat with many a parent and have shed tears when it was too late and the child had gone out into the world in the deep sin. But when you think of David's great grief here and David was broken hearted, we find that David lamented in such a way that it brought this discontentment and division and discord into the ranks of the armies of Israel. You see, they saw David as he cried, Absalom, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. And he never mentioned the sons and the husbands of those who had been slain on the battlefield fighting the king's battles. And the people saw it and they said, he's crying for the, his rebellious son, but he's never shed a tear or expressed grief for our families and for the loss of our husbands and sons. And so they spoke of deserting David because of the situation. And when we think of David's great grief, the lesson is this, that sometimes in our grief, even as believers, it can become excessive and not glorifying to the Lord. You know, I think of two ladies, and both of them had a child, and both of them were unsaved. And one lady, she had her baby, and tragically the baby died. And But sometimes the Lord has to take a lamb to bring the sheep to himself. And in her darkness, she turned to the Lord, and she found Christ as her Savior. And the Lord bound up the heart that was broken. But the other lady, instead of turning to the Lord, she turned to drink. She became an alcoholic. She manufactured misery, not only for herself, but for the whole of her family. And one night, in a drunken fit of anger, she lifted a bread knife and she stabbed her husband. And she murdered her own husband. And she ended up in prison, serving a very long sentence for murder. You see, grief at times can be excessive. You know, I think of Bramwell Booth of the Salvation Army. And along with his wife, she was a beautiful Salvationist. Bramwell Booth was taking a meeting one night. He happened to say in the course of the meeting, you know, it doesn't matter what your situation is. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he can help you and bring you through. And a man sprung to his feet and he said, Ah, it's all right for you talking. You haven't lost your wife. Your children are not crying for their mother. Ah, it's all right for you to talk. He got up and he walked out of the meeting. Some months later, there was a terrible train accident and some Salvation, salvationists along with Bramwell Booth's wife were traveling in England to go to conduct an evangelistic meeting. It was a train accident, train was derailed and along with several others Bramwell Booth's lovely wife lost her life. The Salvation Army when they have a funeral service it's different. They call it a promotion to glory service and the band will play and the songsters will sing and it's a time of 
praise and a thanksgiving for another soldier promoted to glory. And so they arranged their promotion to glory service. And Bramwell Booth, with a coffin stretched out, during that service he went down to the coffin and he related what happened in that public meeting some months previous. And he said, if that man is here now, I want to tell him my children are crying for their mother. My heart is broken, but Jesus Christ is a wonderful saviour. And he's given strength and grace. And he's bringing us through this time of darkness in the valley. That man happened to be present who had interrupted the meeting previously. Stepped out into the aisle and at the coffin, Bramwell Booth led him to Jesus. You see, Christian, while we sorrow, we sorrow not as those who have no hope. And thank God when death comes to a believer and to a loved one who dies in Christ, it's only till he come. And when the Lord comes, we'll be united together and there'll be a meeting in the air, a great reunion. And what a day that will be. David's great grief and his sorrow. David brought dishonor to the Lord and failed to glorify him. Now, our two ladies attended our church in Hillsborough, one in the early days. Her husband died, and she never set foot in the church again. It was strange. And for maybe over 30-odd years, I visited her home every month and gave her envelope into the church, but she felt she could never come to the church. And that was a tragedy. Then there was another dear lady, and she married late in life, and her husband and her, I suppose they had only about 12 to 15 years together, and he died. I did the funeral service. The next Sunday morning, that dear lady was back in her seat as usual. And I thought to myself, that's real grace. What a testimony. And so later on, I happened to be speaking to her, and I said, it was nice to see you back out at the church so soon. She said, let me tell you something. She said, I have a neighbor. And every Saturday night, her husband and her went out to the pub to drink, and he died. And the following Saturday night, she was back to the pub as she normally was. And I thought to myself, if she can go to the pub, then I can go to the house of God, meet with the Lord and my friends and have their support and encouragement. And that's how she glorified the Lord. And you know, whether it's in life or in death, the believers, the sire should be, Lord, help me at all times to conduct myself, even in the valley of the shadow, and I'm experiencing great grief to glorify the grace of God that is promised to be all-sufficient. But you know, as I think of these words, I not only think of David's great grief, but sadly we think of David's great guilt. You see these words spoken by David when he said, My son Absalom, my son, Absalom, would God I had died for thee, Absalom, my son, my son. David here was riddled with guilt. You see these Words and the death of Absalom were the fulfillment of a prophecy of the word of God because of David's sin. Do you remember how we read in the second book of Samuel at the time when kings go forth to war that 
David tarried still at Jerusalem. David's soldiers were out fighting the battle, but David was at ease in Zion. And there he was, and he went up onto the rooftop, the flat rooftop, the warm, clammy night, and he looked down and he saw a beautiful woman bathing herself, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And he lusted in his heart and he coveted after this woman. And while her husband was away in the battlefield, fighting the battles that he should have been fighting, David was committing adultery with his wife. And eventually, Bathsheba came with the news, I'm a child, I'm a child. And David was shattered and so was Bathsheba because under the law of God, both of them should have been stoned to death. And for over a year, he covered up his sin. And the first thing David did was he sent for Uriah and Uriah came and he was at the gate and he got him drunk and he tried to get him to go home to sleep with his wife and uh, think maybe, well, we could deceive him into thinking he was really the father of the child. And that didn't work. Uriah said, can I go and fight? Uh, can I go and go home? Uh, uh, and my brethren are at war. No, he refused to return home. When that didn't work, David spoke to his general. He said, what I want you to do is get Uriah, put him in the, the hottest part of the battle. And they were in a battle against the Amorites. And he said, when you get Uriah in the hottest part of the battle, withdraw your men from him and leave him there. Let him die. Let him be slaughtered. And he thought by lying and deceiving and planning the death of Uriah the Hittite, that he could cover up his sin. And he did. Nobody knew about it. But God knew in heaven. And remember this, that secret sin on earth has opened scandal in heaven. God knows about your sin. The result was God sent a prophet and told a parable about the little ewe lamb. And then Nathan said, Thou art the man, David. And David realized his sin had found him out. And oh, David here now in the death of Absalom, as he cries out, Absalom, my son, Absalom, would God I had died for thee. He's realizing the awful consequences of his sin. And as he makes his way up into that chamber over the gate, and he's weeping, he can see the face of Bathsheba. He can see the face of the child. He can see the face of Uriah the Hittite. And his sin as a murderer and as a liar and as a, an adulterer had found him out. And David has discovered, be not deceived, God is not mocked, that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And listen, unsaved person tonight, doesn't matter who you are, listen, God's word says, be sure, be sure, be certain, your sin will find you out. And if you sow to the flesh, you'll eventually reap corruption. And if it doesn't find you out in this life, it'll find you out in the days when the books will be open and you'll give an account of yourself before God as an individual. Oh, David's guilt, David realized here the awful consequences of a sin, that sin always spells disaster in the end and that the way of the transgressor 
is hard. So can you see David's great grief, broken-hearted man of God. David's great guilt. David is in this predicament because of the judgment of God. God had prophesied, the sword shall never depart from thine house. Sin always has its consequences. But you know, as I look at these words, I not only see David's great grief and David's great guilt, but we see David's great grace. David's great grace. Look at those words again as David cries, Oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. And here you see something of the grace of God in the heart of the man after God's own heart. And David cries here and he laments, and his cry was, Would God I could have died in your room instead, Absalom. And some ways that was a foolish thing to say. Because if David had died instead of Absalom, think of the terrible consequences that would have had upon the nation. But David here as a father is broken hearted and he cries out, Would God I had died for thee, O my son Absalom. If it had been possible, Absalom, I would have died for you and your room instead on the battlefield. Now the amazing truth of the gospel is this, that what David couldn't do, no man can die to atone for the sin of another. But what David couldn't do, King David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ alone could do. When the fullness of the time came, he was born of a virgin, and he came and he set his face as a flint towards Jerusalem. And there he laid down his life for ransom for many. And the glorious message of the gospel is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And Isaiah says he was wounded. We are healed. And what David couldn't do for his son, thank God Jesus did for the fallen sons of Adam's race on the middle cross of Calvary. For the Bible tells us that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Mr. Spurgeon used to say that the cream of theology is in that word substitution. And that's the very heart of the gospel message that there's a substitute, that there's one who took your place on the middle cross of Calvary. You know, one of my favorite presidents of the United States of America was Abraham Lincoln for so many things. He failed in so many ways, failed, 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 and uh, stood for election and failed and time and time again. But eventually he never gave up and he became president of the United States of America. And one thing Lincoln was against was that was the foul sin of slavery. That was very rife in America and especially in the southern states where black people were treated uh, just like cattle, bought and sold, snatched away from their families in Africa and other places and brought back what they call the coffin ships. Have you ever seen the story of John Newton? You'll read all about it. And he was on one of these ships. 
And these men and women were chained uh, just like coffins and row after row after row. Uh, and they would be there for five or six weeks and they had to lie in their own filth. And they were given very little food. And if one of them died, they were just unshackled and the body taken and thrown to the sharks, thrown overboard. And Abraham Lincoln hated slavery and he took a stand against slavery to set the black man free. You know the story, of course, how that one night he was at a theater and as he was there, an assassin came behind the curtain, shot him. He was killed and he died. And Abraham Lincoln had a tremendous funeral. Thousands gathered to witness the death of the president and the man who had set the slaves free. And it said that Negroes were lined up, multitudes, hundreds, thousands along the roads, witnessing his death. One father lifted up his little black boy and he held him up, head and shoulders, as the coffin was passing by. And he said, look, son, look, son, that man died for us. That man died for us. And you know, that's the message of the middle cross of Calvary. Look, that man died for us. And we can say tonight, there's life for a look at the crucified one. <coughs> wonder have you ever looked? Spurgeon, as a young boy, but in the church one morning, it was a snowy morning, the preacher didn't turn up. The deacons were debating to close the meeting. So few there, and an unknown lay preacher, maybe just a man who was visiting the church, was asked, would he say a few words? They took a great tax, and the words were from Isaiah, look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. And beside me there is none else. And he kept repeating the tax, and Spurgeon, on his way to church that morning, couldn't get to his own church, and he went into this little primitive Methodist chapel and sat in the gallery. There was only one there. And the preacher happened to look up and he said, Young man, look to Christ. Look to Christ. If you don't look to him, you'll be miserable in life. You'll be miserable in death. You'll be miserable in eternity. Look to Christ. And that morning, sitting there in that pew, Spurgeon said, I looked at him. He looked at me. And we were one forever. And that's the glorious message of the gospel, that through the death of Christ, you can enter into eternal union with the triune God of heaven. And thank God, nothing is able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. David's great grace, it pales into significance when you see the grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, may be made rich. It's no wonder the hymn writer wrote, Love so amazing, so divine, shall have my soul, my life, my all. Oh, may God write uh, these words upon our hearts tonight. And if you're here and you're not saved, look to Christ. 
for there's life for a look at the crucified one. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts.